Welcome to Let Genius Burn, a podcast series about the life and legacy of Louisa May Alcott. I'm Jill Fuller. And I'm Jamie Burgess. In today's episode, we're meeting an artist who captured Louisa at the tenderest of ages, her early adolescent year with her family at Fruitlands, when she was just discovering who she might become. This is Louisa in Threads. When you enter the property at Fruitlands in Harvard, Massachusetts, you begin at the crest of a hill with a sweeping panoramic view of farms and mountains in the distance. The place is almost offensively beautiful, almost too much. As you descend the gravel path downhill, the view fades behind the dense forest wall and you meet a broad-faced colonial home painted a foreboding red. In this farmhouse, The Alcott family lived and nearly died for nine months in 1843. In summer, they came to the farm full of hope and virtue, trying to escape ordinary life and live out their ideals. Louisa May Alcott ran in these fields, playing with her sisters. She was 10 years old and full of longing to be someone great, to do something that would make her parents proud. Inside the walls of the farmhouse, those who know the story of the Alcott struggle can easily see them here sitting down to yet another supper of crackers and water and trying to smile. They recited poetry for each other. They acted out scenes from Pilgrim's Progress. Louisa gritted her teeth, tried to bear her struggles, and tame her temper. As the hopeful summer turned to cold, unforgiving winter, the Elcots became more and more desperate for food and warmth. In this episode, we're talking with Leslie Scomp, who served as an artist-in-residence at Fruitlands in 2021. Leslie drew inspiration from Louisa's diaries to create textile pieces that embodied and expressed Louisa May Alcott's time there. Her samplers capture the dichotomy of this place, the distance between the restrictive ideals of the community and the vibrant, free spirit of young Louisa. Above the fireplace hung a brightly colored sampler that looks like a sunburst with rays of every imaginable color, centered around a dark point in the middle. Scomp used samples of Louisa's handwriting to recreate the shapes of her letters for a diary quote that runs around the perimeter of the cloth. The quote in Louisa's familiar scrawl reads, I ran in the wind and played be a horse and had a lovely time in the woods with Anna and Lizzie. We were fairies and made gowns and paper wings. I flied the highest of all. In contrast, a smaller piece in black, gray, and white shows two quotes in neat typed font. The evils of life are not so much social or political as personal, and a personal reform only can eradicate them. Charles Lane and Bronson Alcott, The New Eden, 1843. This quote is placed above a quote from The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells from 2019. I am not alone, and how widespread alarm will shape our ethical impulses toward one another and the politics that emerge from those impulses is among the more profound questions being posed by the climate to the planet of people it envelops. If you climb the ladder to the loft where the girls slept, you would see hanging over their beds a beautiful, almost impossible-looking piece of embroidery, a cone-shaped sampler suspended from the ceiling in off-white. It reads, 
I get to sleep saying poetry. And on the back, I know a great deal. A quote from Louisa's Fruitlands Journal. The gauzy look of the sampler recalls antique night dresses and the whispers of nighttime thoughts. Another one of Scomp's samplers is a thickly embroidered quote that resembles a sunset behind the mountains, with colors ranging from fiery orange to faded blue and black. The quote is also from Louisa's journal, and it reads, I made good resolutions and felt better in my heart. If I only kept all I make, I should be the best girl in the world. But I don't, and so am very bad. These were Louisa's intimate thoughts, lovingly made tactile and strung from the ceiling at the Fruitlands farmhouse. Leslie Scomp's open heart captured another layer of Louisa May Alcott that has not yet been fully explored on Let Genius Burn, the tender pre-adolescent she was at Fruitlands, the fear she felt at becoming herself, and how she tried to tame it. These works express the full range of Louisa's emotional self. Our descriptions don't do justice to their beauty, intricacy, and dedication to Louisa's words. So we encourage you to see the pictures at lesliescomp.com. The link is in the show notes. Leslie received her MFA from the Massachusetts College of Art and her BFA from Florida State University. She's a senior lecturer who primarily teaches drawing in the visual arts department at the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, where she's taught since 2000. Her work consists of drawings and sculptures created with textiles. Each piece is an investigation into how she sees herself as part of, instead of, apart from nature. Leslie, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Jamie and I are so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I've really enjoyed listening to you too in the first season of the podcast. So again, just so happy to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, well, I just have to say, um, we wanted to have you on because um, your pieces that you did last summer for the Fruitlands Museum is just absolutely amazing. So um, maybe if you could just start out for those who are maybe not familiar with Fruitlands, um, we've talked about it on this podcast, but just starting out a little bit, telling us what it was in Louisa's time and then what it is now and what your role was there as artist in residence. Sure. Well, um, Fruitlands Museum is, first of all, I'm going to talk about it as it is now, is a approximately 210 acre land so first of all when you drive into Fruitlands if you've never been there it's just glorious landscape <laughs> you drive up and it's panoramic so one of the reasons to go there is just to see this gorgeous view right um, but it also has um, a collection of five five different collections so basically Clara Endicott Sears um, who was a huge collector she opened Fruitlands in 1914 to the public and the mm -hmm. collections include the Shaker Museum which is actually the Shaker house where Greta Gerwig filmed um, the latest uh, portion of Meg's married home right after oh, um, yeah so that's there and that's the Shaker house uh, and okay. so there's a Shaker collection as well there's a Native American museum and it's filled with artifacts Native American artifacts there is also you know in the art museum itself which showcases uh, yearly contemporary art but also the Hudson River School landscape painting as well as 19th century vernacular portraits 
And then, of course, there's a Fruitlands farmhouse, which is where Bronson Alcott took his family in 1843 um, with um, Charles Lane to set up a transcendentalist commune, a utopian society. And they, as you've spoken on your podcast, they did subsistence farming, which is a, uh, eventually what caused them to fail because they were not able to farm enough food to last past 10 months. And so in Louise's time, I, it's, it's interesting because when you walk around that museum or even in the house, you try to imagine what it looked like. Did the landscape look different? Were there more trees, less trees, right? What was the situation? Um, but now it's just stunning. Uh, when you're in the farmhouse and you look out to the right, there's all these trees. And when you look to the left, you see the, all the different buildings that house all the different collections. And it's one of my favorite places, one of my favorite museums, because of all the different collections that bring together this idea of landscape and nature. So you have the Shaker vision, you've got the transcendentalist vision, you've got these early American portraits of, or, you know, landscapes, um, and you've got Native American. And I, I've always loved that intersection of all those ideas about nature and landscape. Um, and I used to bring my young son there and we would, and I never knew I'd be an artist in residence. So it was such a dream come true to kind of eventually meet the curator and be um, one of four artists in residence we can talk about that a okay. little bit later but it, it was just a dream country it's one of my favorite places so if you're ever if anyone's ever out there definitely go see it there's so many reasons to go there wow I have never been I've never been out but oh. that's something that's on my <laughs> list when I yeah when I go into the Jamie and we go out that is definitely on my list let wow. me know oh, yeah there. <laughs> I used to yeah. go to concerts oh. there as a kid and sit and watch the sunset you know behind the Concord band or whoever yeah. was playing out there but um just yeah Jill you're gonna love it and you can see why Bronson yes. was drawn to this piece of land and why he thought okay my you know vision of utopia in nature can exist here because mm. it even today I mean it's not like a bustling suburb of Boston but it's between Boston and Worcester it's along the highway you would think that you know it might have lost some of that really pastoral idyllic landscape and not at all i mean it's it's stunning you drive up and you're like oh it's panoramic and you just see you see so many sets of mountains it's really incredible and a valley and and there's lots of hiking that you can do that they have a lot of great programming between the fire pits in the winter time and the concerts as you mentioned and um you know different holiday sales of artisans and so there it's 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 great to look at their programming as well can you describe some of the pieces in last summer's installation for our listeners? Sure. So it all starts um, with the wonderful curator, Shana Dumagar, who is the curator at Fruitlands. And she put together a show called Peacework, Resistance and Healing. And this was in the contemporary or the regular main gallery. Um, there are four artists in that, Gina Adams and um, Andy Mowbray and uh, Alicia Henry and myself. And this was an exhibit of our work um, in, in the gallery. And then next to it in the same gallery were historic pieces. So this, as a, as a textile fan, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I love, we got to actually go to Shirley and go to see in the backs and to sort of choose things that we were really interested in and see what connect- connection we could make to historic objects. But then we all um, got to work with then as artists in residence with other parts of Fruitlands. And she said, I want you to work in the farmhouse. So I've always loved the farmhouse. 
things. Um, so it, it's funny because you go there about a year ahead of time and you walk around and you say, I love it. Oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> panic, 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 right? I want this. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And the great thing is, is I had a year to figure it out. So the, the stuff in the gallery, the, the pieces in the gallery were works that were already my work. But what I made for the farmhouse essentially came down to... Um, what after all the terrible ideas that you have at first, right? Terrible ideas. <laughs> then you end up with, okay, I, I actually have been reading the diaries, the journals of Louise May Alcott from this time period. And I think what I want to do very simply is to put her words or her thoughts back into the farmhouse so that when you're walking through, you get to sort of think about what she was thinking. So what I loved about diaries, I've always been a fan of diaries because they're the intersection between thought and statement, right? So they're what you're thinking, they're unedited, they kind of come out of you. And at the same time, you are writing them down, right? So you are kind of thinking someone might read this and you all did a podcast on this about yeah. your diaries, right? <laughs> you know that somebody might read them at some point. And so you do think about that a little bit. And I kind of love that moment of you're in her head and you're also in the house. So the house is, a, is almost like a brain and, and her brain is inside that brain, right? And so, so then it was sort of about choosing. So the, the other thing is, is what did I want to make, right? Do I want to make a sculpture, a drawing, right? And responding to the physical forms in the house and the materials of the house, right? It's so much heavy, beautiful wood, right? Um, beams, great old floors. Um, and so I ended up deciding to make samplers that are pretty traditional that, that would sort of fit in with the idea of all the period appropriate furniture and textiles they put in there. Most of it was not necessarily belonging to the Alcott's but it's period appropriate. And I thought, well, I want to play into that aesthetic. I'm someone who's a fan of it. And I also kind of want to play it into the house and then take some liberty with some of the aesthetics of it. So the pieces themselves are heavily embroidered. They're, they're filled with stitches. There's no original um, cloth necessary uh, left over in them. Um, and they're, they're thick. When you embroider something so much, they actually get thicker and they feel different in your hand and they become almost like tapestries. And so I, that's what I ended up, that's the form I ended up going with. Was there any influence based on the Alcott's actual abstaining from lots of different types of textiles? You know, Bronson very uh, deliberately eschewed things like animal products. And so I wondered if that came up in your studies at all. It did actually. So it's interesting because I have, I made four samplers and then I had two other pieces as well that were personal works. One that was from a decade ago that Shane and I agreed actually worked in the house, even though I had made it a decade ago, it was about diaries. And then another piece that wasn't embroidered, but was text on cloth. But the first sampler I made was absolutely based on that. So it's interesting that you brought that up without knowing because it was a quote by Bronson Alcott and it was my first idea. And the idea was, that Bronson Alcott has this quote about personal reform is the way for the world to reform, right? If you are intrinsically, inwardly good yourself, then the world will be a good place, right? So it's about you. 
And then I paired that with a David Wallace Wells quote, who is a climate change author who just recently wrote a book about how dire the situation okay. was. And his quote is about how essentially we're not alone. And the only way to move forward is through big actions, politics, right? It's not enough. So I, I wanted to put these two together because I loved the idea of Bronson Alcott. He was a conversationalist from what I understand as an educator. He was someone who brought children in to kind of respond and have conversations. And he was a big talker in the transcendentalist. So I like the idea of having a conversation with someone contemporary about climate change, about change. I was also thinking about social justice change because this is all during the pandemic, which we can talk about how that factored in um, and um, Black Lives Matter. And so this idea that it's not enough to be good or to be anti-racist. Now we have to vote, we have to make changes, right? This is the only way we have to think about systematic change, systemic, sorry, not systemic. Um, and so, I put these two. So back to your original question is I only used silk <laughs> and I used, only used linen. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to use any cotton. I said, if this is Bronson Alcott's quote, then I have to like play with that. Right. So the cool thing about making four samplers is I got to play in different directions with them because I, I find it very hard to make the same thing over and over again. I'm like, each is an opportunity to try something with color or materiality. Um, and so in the other samplers, I used cotton and I, for Louisa, and I actually used embroidery thread that I think you make friendship bracelets with. They're for okay. 10 year olds. And I love that connection, okay. right? If she was around today, that might be what she would have sewn with. That's what the girls are sewing with today. They make bracelets and it's so many colors, right? But yeah. bronze and Alcott, I felt like, do not use cotton. <laughs> You're not allowed to. So that's a good question. It actually did come up. And it's amazing that you started from this big, broad social justice, the whole world. Bronson Alcott was definitely invested in, you know, how can we change the world, believing like my utopia is going to be a microcosm for like an entire revolution across the world, right. which sometimes I say to myself, I wish I had his audacity. I really do. I would love to start a commune. And like, I yes. wish I believed the way he believed about Fruitlands that it would be so successful. Well, but then yeah. you you really narrow down to this incredibly intimate diary of a 10-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. That is just amazing that that's where you settled, like so narrow and specific. Well, it's interesting because pairing him with David Wallace Wells, I was like, it's only been about 178 years, right? That's not that long. And we go from Bronson Alcott thinking, utopia, let's make a utopia. And then we got David Wallace Wells who's saying, we are on the brink of devastation, the climate change. It is urgent. We no longer have Like, let's any, just not die. There is yeah, no right. luxury of utopias anymore, right? Now we're just trying to do this. Survival. And it's only been, I did the math today, 178 years. Uh, and so much has happened in terms of, you know, and, and I do think Bronson Alcott was thinking in a very rudimentary way about net, the natural world and, and, you know, his lofty ideas about not using animals and all of these things, but but we're way beyond that. And so it's, it was such an interesting time to make these pieces being during the pandemic and thinking about everything that was going on and um, being at home and stitching and stitching and stitching and stitching and stitching mm. all through the pandemic. That was what I did was, was 
And I was laughing with my husband because I watched Schitt's Creek the whole way through. And so all of these pieces are like, Schitt's Creek is in my head. You know, that's my theme show. Yeah, that was my show. I got so much enjoyment out of that. And so I associate all of that stitching with that show, which is awesome. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. I would love to talk about like how the uh, Rose family and the Alcott family. (laughs) Would have been good. (laughs) It's interesting because if you think about Bronson Alcott personal reform and you think about Louisa and how she actually became quite an activist she was actually going out there and doing some of that action and believed in voting Mm -hmm. you know that was a big jump even generationally which is exciting and I don't know if Louisa believed I have to be perfect before I can change things I think that Louisa really came to accept herself warts and all i don't think that she really saw a choice there i mean she was always going to live with bronson's criticisms about her character and yet she like carried on and she moved forward with that and he you know spent a lot of time saying like no i must you know i must get it right right in order for things to get better and louisa just was yeah, she out accepted. There. In the meantime, Louise was like, "No, I'm out. I'm changing." I'm it. <laughs> she did. Well, it. She, I mean, at a young age, she had to accept that she was never going to be perfect. I mean, and that's one of the quotes that you actually have in one of your pieces is one of her journal <laughs> entries about how she is so very bad. And one of the yes. things that really struck me about that piece is that it's so it's multicolored, right. and then the word "bad" is in the deepest, darkest part. <laughs> of the of it descends the darkest into darkness it, yeah you know and it's just it's so heartbreaking to read it but you know yeah. it's just she had already that that awareness when she was young and I think you know Jamie like to your point absolutely like she had to be, she she already had that understanding and she had to accept that and like thank goodness she did because the opposite could have happened she could have wallowed in that and then never done anything with herself right and instead she just like accepted it and then became something and and just like lived with it but Kind of jumping off of that, one of the questions I'm going to be skipping ahead. We have like a list, listeners. We have okay. a list, but we're skipping. I'm so sorry, <laughs> we're skipping because. Uh, so off of some of the things we're talking about now is like we've been talking about some of these quotes, and I personally am just so interested in knowing how did you decide which quotes to use. Right. So one of my favorites, I love that one. You know that we're just talking about, but I also love there's one over the over the bed, and it says, you know, um, I'm going to get it wrong you know the quote exactly but I get you know, to sleep saying poetry I get to sleep saying poetry yes I get to sleep saying poetry so how did you decide what you were going to actually use what how did that jump well, out of you I read I read through the journal so they're they're pretty brief actually and you know yeah. she, it seems like it was out of the 10 months it was only a few months worth of a diary right mm-hmm. and the the crazy thing about this so there's actually a facsimile that they sent me over that's what I asked for could you can I see the original I want to see her handwriting that comes up in another piece um, and they said, sure. And they sent out over the facsimile digitally and I'm looking through it and I'm like, where are my quotes? Where are the quotes? And it turns out after a big investigation where I even wrote to Houghton Library at Harvard and had a wonderful librarian try to answer all my questions, that all the quotes I chose are from pages that are missing that don't exist. They were published but the original story. And I was like, first I was like distraught. I was like, how could I have chosen three quotes from two pages of her diary that extend from September to December 
and they're the missing two pages. Literally, that's the one. And they really are. They're all in a row in this diary. Um, so I, I picked these quotes because they just literally intuitively jump off the page. I thought they were brilliant. They resonated with me. And I'll talk a little bit later about why they actually resonated with me personally um, as being a tenured. I really did have a connection to these. Remembering this age, she was about 10. I believe she turned 11, potentially. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're so quick. They're so quick because she might be saying, I made breakfast. All of a sudden she says, I get to sleep saying, like, it, it's for me, it's like a big jump, right? Like, oh my God, you could, right. if you blinked, you'd mm-hmm. miss it. Um, so they just seemed so beautiful. And then eventually after I started embroidering these, I figured out later what I was interested in. You don't always know right away. So what I eventually became interested in was this idea of morality and spirituality coexisting in her diaries. One, the morality of what her father being good, being good, being good. She cries so much in these Mm -hmm. diaries. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think she was prepubescent. I think she was hormonal. I think she did not eat well at all, as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I think she was cold, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and I think all of that, given her age, made it very emotional for her. So everything was heightened and dramatized. I think she was already starting to be a good writer. Um, And she had a keen observation. Um, So, that I, I think that these things just became really about these moments. I picked out quotes, then I was like, wow, I'm picking out quotes where she is filled with the spirit and transcendentalist. I think she is the inhabitant of that. She goes outside, she plays with her. One of my quotes is, so I'm in the woods, I fly at highest of all. That just that single line there was so beautiful. I get to sleep saying poetry. I just imagine her brain and all this beautiful poetry coming out of her. And then there's the one we talked about where she wants to be good, but she can't. And it's just, there's such a depression about she cannot be as good as she's supposed to be. So again, her father's morality and this personal reform, personal reform, and then just the spirit of being in that gorgeous place with her sisters, which I think accelerates it, right? And um, the just thinking about those two, the coexistence of those two things, especially in a child, again, resonated with me personally, because I had that in my childhood as well. And so the, that ended up being what I discovered was the purpose of this whole thing for me, <laughs> why I chose these quotes. So, wow. yeah. She's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, Leslie. I personally am really drawn to it too. I had a lot going on when I was 11. So the (laughs) Fruitlands episode uh, of Louisa's life has always been something that has personally touched me a lot. And so the first time I ever saw your artwork, I just sobbed. Like I just cried like the, you know, the, especially the, you know, I, I, I get to, I get to bed saying poetry. Um, So that, that one um, is my personal favorite, just looking at them because um, I had a lot of uh, trouble when I was 11 sleeping. I had a lot of anxiety sleeping. I had a lot of family stuff going on that year. So like Louisa, you know, that's always, I always have imagined her laying awake at Fruitlands, laying awake in that attic. And then to see that just hit me. I mean, and I didn't even see it in person. I just <laughs> mentioned it was, it's just Well, the back incredible. of that piece says, um, I know a great deal. So I just love that pride moment where she's oh. learned so much. And we only showed the front, that. but I, I was like, I can't leave that out because she's really proud of herself. And I don't know about you, but when I was a child, 
child. I feel like I'm, I got some years on YouTube, but I grew up in Ireland and uh, I, I spent a portion of my childhood. I'm not Irish, but I spent 11 years of my childhood and we at a convent school, which I think is where some of this resonance comes in. And mm -hmm. we had to memorize poetry and we had to memorize Irish passages under the threat of you don't get it today, mm. you're going to be punished. And even though that was very stressful, I can still remember passages of poetry. And I don't mm. know if children do this much anymore. Memorization isn't as much. And I, in some ways, I agree with that because I think it was very hard on some children. They just couldn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. However, I can still remember some poetry and I'm able to just say it. And it's like, wow, that for me, I, I think about her, how much she must have learned, right? And how mm -hmm. that is a way, a good way to get to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's just to start, you know, it's practical advice. And also I just thought it was beautiful, her yeah. just projecting these beautiful thoughts out into the, yeah. you know, and if you see that attic and there's that one window and what did the moon look like? Did it come in on that side? I don't know. I wasn't there at night. It just made, and I, I think the attic is fairly unchanged. The house has, has had some changes from what I understand, but I think the attic is pretty consistent to what it would have been like it would have been very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter so mm. it's an interesting place yeah yeah it's beautiful to think of that as her coping mechanism you know right. yeah. yeah i wanted to ask you about like the insulation in specific places oh around yeah the Okay, yeah. So that was really fun, actually, because I envisioned these pieces in certain sections of the house. And, you know, I definitely, the last piece I made was the I Get to Sleep Saying Poetry, which is actually a rounded sampler. I sewed it over a megaphone shape. And I have to tell you, I... I was, I bought this megaphone. It was plastic. It was so ugly. And I said, what am I doing? <laughs> However, I must forge ahead. <laughs> so I showed it to Shana and she was like, oh, that's a plastic megaphone. But what I wanted to do there was take a risk and to, I wanted to echo actually. So the shaker drawings, gift drawings that I also saw at Fruitlands also were very inspiring to me in some of the samplers. And in that one, I had noticed in shaker drawings, there were little trumpets or megaphone shapes. And I, I wanted her, I get to sleep saying poetry to be projected out. Kind of like a megaphone. Yeah, like, yeah. and a funnel, right? So she's the end of that funnel and her brain is extending out. Um, and I used all white for that one. That's the only one that's colorless. And I wanted to echo this idea of 18th century night dresses or 19th century and um, also cobwebs and, and lunar moss and x-rays and nighttime and ghostliness and the moon and all of these things things um and I, I i was actually really pleased to see that in the attic because the attic is dark wood and the white just echoed it really mm -hmm. nicely but but for the rest of the pieces that was a conversation with shana and um we wanted to put the piece that is about running in the woods with her sister next to a window where she may have looked out and kind of wanted to go outside we put the the sad <laughs> sad piece in a dark corner you know we we just sort of had fun um placing things so the the diary piece which was a piece i made a decade decade ago we put next to another window that were that was upstairs that overlooked and it just really worked there it just looked right there it was on this wooden stand and um and then this is the most exciting fan moment i had i made a piece um that was 150 feet of ribbon where i went through the dictionary 
And I wrote, I am, I am, I am. And I picked out words that I have ever been, ever had the quality of. So I, I went from A to Z. It took me months, right? I am, I am almost like a schoolgirl. I am naughty. I'm, so all the words, I am jealous, I am loving, I'm generous, I'm selfish. I had to really confront. Have you ever been this? Yes. <laughs> you know, it was this sad <laughs> self-awareness, but I feel sure. like it's, Bronson Alcott thought we should be aware, you know, be reformed, then we should be aware before we start that process. And, and so it became 150 feet of ribbon, which was shocking. And I said, wow, wow. we are complex being, we're, we're contradictory. I also love some of the sequences. I'm selfish, I'm selfless, I'm self-absorbed. I'm, you know, yep, all of right. you. Right, Sorry, I'm hoping that's okay that I said that. Um, <laughs> and... Once I was done with it, I threaded it with wire, also took a really long time. And then I just coiled it into a ball and that got to sit on Thoreau's desk, which was like a fan moment, right? So for me, it was like, that's Thoreau's desk. Um, so that was really exciting. So again, I think there were five pieces in the Fruitland. And then once the, the, the piece work show was done, we moved the Bronson Alcott quote piece that was over in the gallery over to the house for a short period of time. So yeah, it was really fun to work with different nooks and crannies of the house. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's fiber art. I mean, that's a lot of your work, but like the way that fiber art really like chose that line with craft and it speaks to like the way like, that women's work has been so artistic and so unbelievable. You know, I look at crocheted pieces even that my great grandmother made and say like oh my gosh I could never have the patience to do this and then to like I guess pay homage to those women's artistic abilities through you know fiber art but then to transform it into you know truly pieces of art that are meant to be experienced as art rather than as something functional or something useful right and the process of making them I mean you you earn those words. I mean, you know, the, the only issue was, is I had a year and I said, Shana, I don't know how many I'll finish. <laughs> Cause right. you get started and you're like, Oh God, this is going to take a lot longer than I thought. Every time. I don't know why I haven't learned. Sometimes they take six months. So, but by the mm-hmm. time you're done sewing them, you really have thought about what you, you know, those <laughs> words and you've tra- you've had a conversation in your head apart from watching Shit's Creek where you've sort of thought about what do these words mean? What do they mean today? You know? So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to see. I, I am, and I'm such a fan and I, you know, the patience that it takes, it's been, it was a great way to work through the pandemic. I and not all of your work includes words, Right. right. So no, that, I'm not natural <laughs> inclination to say like, okay, it's Alcott. So it has to be word based or. Yeah, I know. Well, I've made a few books in the past. So the, the okay. diary piece that was a decade old, that is actually some text. Um, and it's, it's hand machine sewn. And the, instead yeah, of cutting the threads good. off, I just pull them across my kitchen and cut, you know, so that everything extends out. But no, I, I haven't made a lot of text pieces. So this was really kind of fun to do it. So in that way, it was really new. But but again, the idea was what I want to do here, because when you're working in a museum, 
you it's different right you want to honor what that house is doing and play into that a little bit so it becomes part museum exhibit and part artwork right so you mm-hmm. have to kind of kind of toe that line and I really mm-hmm. thought her words were so special and deserved to be showcased right but I had a lot of fun with the changing the aesthetic decisions in each one and then using those as a personal resonance what what was it so you know going for so even the color piece where she's so sad about not being good I was looking at Wolf Kahn paintings and they're these sort of almost abstract paintings of light Mm -hmm. on landscape right so impending dawn you know impending gloom of the evening totally inspired this idea of sinking and and rising and sinking right and the emotional like she makes all these resolutions yay and then she fails right and so playing that I so that was strictly for that piece and I only did it in that piece right um as we talked about I get to sleep saying poetry a whole different ball game I pulled threads out you know I kind of that was that was more tedious than the embroidery was getting the to pull the threads out of the fabric and um using only silk and linen or, you know, just really changing my mind uh, or changing my vision each time. Yeah. And, you know, so in the last one, which we didn't talk about, but it's about going into the woods for that one, I really wanted to use her handwriting because in some of the shaker drawings, there's this visionary, it looks like writing, but it's not, it's like spirit writing. It's like the spirit of writing, but you can't read it. You look at it and you're like, I feel so I feel so much when I look at these marks. And so I thought, well, her handwriting might be expressive. So send me the diaries. Oh no, it's not there. (laughs) So I made this alphabet from all the other pages of all her letters and transcribed them and recreated what her handwriting probably looked like sort of for this particular quote. And that took a while. (laughs) I was an investigator, you know, but that was fun. And it was like, I was meant to conjure up this lost page. And so that's all around the edge is me having painstakingly tried to mimic what it might have looked like and you know so that was that was fun to do yeah that's incredible (laughs) trying to pull her back bring her back (laughs) I love that and then that's the one that has like the color burst in the middle too right yeah yes and I did not plan those colors I used I had this um ordered this I I'm pretty sure it's friendship bracelet but it came with 200 colors and I said I'm just gonna pile colors wherever I feel they're right right and they kind of pulled into this vortex or this almost like a portal and a lot of the shaker drawings have this idea of portal or moving from one world to another they're all about visions right spiritual experiences and you know her running in the woods with her sister and and fly she flied highest of all seemed like she got transported and I know I remember those moments right so I wanted to kind of pull from those words into the center and the funny thing is is because I'm not a perfect seamstress the whole thing got really physical <laughs> like it's just like I was like I'm going for it I'm gonna fold the edges and so if you look at this sampler it's pretty physical it's 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 moving in space and I just let it you know at some point you gotta let things do what they do but um I learned to embroider and sew and knit from the nuns in the convent school when I went to Ireland and in some ways, they'd be very shocked <laughs> how I'm not doing it the way they said to. And yet, it's very precise in its own way. It's just not their way, right? So, sure. it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, and Vortex is the exact language that Louisa used for her writing mm-hmm. process. Oh, that's great. Stuck I didn't in, know that. She yeah. would say, 
I enter my vortex. It's written in Little Women, even like that's how Joe describes it. And just when Louisa disappears into her writing, mm-hmm. and oh, that's she amazing. goes for weeks on end without, you know, emerging from her room. And Marnie's bringing her <laughs> snacks, and Louisa's just writing until her hair is all covered in ink. So. I love that. I love that that her creative process was t- being transported to another. That's and amazing. very physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, very speaking physical, of physical, yeah. like she yeah. really thought of writing as this incredibly physical activity because she would exhaust herself while doing it. Wow, that's great. That's good to know. Yeah. I didn't know that. So cool. Something that you share with her. And can- <laughs> Absolutely. That's a connection between you two. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. What else did you? like share with Louisa in that time. Did you yes. feel that there were more connections than you would have expected? Yes. Um, particularly. So it, and of course not in the same way, but uh, you know, I am from a family of eight children and I was born in Florida and my parents moved us to Ireland just because they thought it would be a great place to grow up. And that was really unusual because most Irish people were moving to America, right? So it was the opposite. And the fact that he didn't have a job to go over to, that he just, there was these sort of, and, and not in the same way, but there was these small resonances that I was like, oh my gosh, like my father took us there under these idealized circumstances. It was a Catholic country, right? We eventually ended up in the country, uh, very rural. So we lived outside the village in next to cows, right? Pastoral scene. Um, we stood out, right? We, we had this Irish um, elementary school education. So I was in this common school with all girls. So there was that weight of the morality, of the Catholic morality, but also just being in the countryside with my siblings and running around. And, um, and then, you know, the, the, the interesting things was, was seeing the mother kind of drag them out of there <laughs> was interesting. Um, my mother really lived the Irish experience. Like she really, you know, she, she really was part of it. My father sort of, I felt like he wasn't really in it the way we were. It was his, not his only decision, but he was the main motivator to go there. But then he kind of sat back in the way that you hear about Bronson Alcott kind of taking off, right? To talk Mm -hmm. about it idealistically. But Mm -hmm. on another note, the job he did end up with was at the University of Limerick where he uh, taught communications and he was one of the first professors to really get this idea of conversation with students I'm not just going to lecture to you it's going to be about so he and so there was this not in the same way but small tiny parallels right and then we moved mm-hmm. back to Florida just when I was 14 and so this idea of completely transitioning again I'm American and yet I don't feel American even though I wasn't Irish and just the constant trying to um transition or to adapt right um and i think that 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 experience i'm pretty haunted by my childhood there there's always something i feel like i'm and yet i think the ireland that i may have known is probably gone right or it's changed so much and i didn't get to watch it change through all those years and so it's like it's here instead of 
there you know it's it's deep inside your haunt yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so I think um that really affected the way I see things artistically the way I can't Mm -hmm. imagine that she wasn't affected by Fruitlands that's and I think at 10 years old 10 is in a time of intense observation emotionally for lots of reasons what you're witnessing or what you're going through feels strongly to you especially Mm -hmm. as a young girl who I think's emotions were heightened by her diet and you know the time of her life and all of yeah, this. and the living on the edge like you said of hunger and of cold yes. and all those mm-hmm. things yeah she cries a lot in her diary I should count mm-hmm. them but I was pretty surprised at how much she was crying right and mm-hmm. I keep thinking about your mentions of the shakers mm-hmm. and how the shakers rescued the Alcotts yes. and yeah. how Bronson Alcott was like almost I don't want to say comatose, but he was definitely, you know, in and out of consciousness there for a while. And to imagine him kind of coming to in this like highly religious environment and feeling like I have been saved for a reason. And then finally, like finding the will to live and actually get up and start taking care of his family again. That is all, you know, it's all part of that landscape there i mean with fruitlands and shaker village and the whole thing being so in such close proximity it's thanks to those people that the alicots even survived the winter oh yeah definitely and i'm really drawn to the shaker as well i I, you know the the women are the ones making those drawings right i don't know if you've had a chance to look at the shaker gift drawings but they are as close as you can get to sort of seeing something visual being like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I feel so, you know, those marks and those, the, the arrangement of them and just the idea of them. They're just so amazing. Um, and so I was really glad that that was there too, because I was very inspired by those as well. Yeah. And so ephemeral as the shakers yes. did not make it into the 20th yeah. century really. And, and Fruitlands was this, you know, brief, like yeah. exhale in time basically. Yeah. And, you know, the way that things move forward. Yeah. I learned so much about her from you guys. I didn't realize she was a nurse and she got so ill. I never knew any of that stuff. I have to read the hospital sketches. That looks really, um, really good. Yeah. Oh, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Her yeah. voice, her, her voice just, you know, just flies right off that page. You'll just be like, yeah. oh, there you are, Louisa. Hi. <laughs> well, and it seems like she makes annotations in the diary because mm-hmm. whatever version I'm reading, she says, and Louisa at 50 says, still trying, you know, when she you does. Yeah. <laughs> It's yes. like that's hilarious. And so other family not members too. Yeah, her mom it's, would make a little note, or someone yeah, else. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. It's pretty terrific. Yeah. Do you have a favorite piece, or one that was particularly challenging or rewarding to make? I think that the I Get to Sleep saying poetry was challenging. I wasn't sure I was going to finish it. Um, I wasn't sure about the megaphone. <laughs> I was like, you know, you, it, it was the last piece and I so doubted. I, I have a lot of self-doubt actually when I make things. And so I was, you know, I, to make it, to make the plastic work, I had to cover it. And then I had to sew it to that. And I was picking out the threads and I was like, oh my gosh. So that was a challenge because, but I think in the end, it looked the best in that spot. It, it activated 
that room the most. And then the other one I have a soft spot for is the, um, I'm looking at, I made good resolutions. And that for me really felt like my 10 year old self, just this, like, I, I'm trying to be good. And I'm, I literally can feel that still from when I was 10. Mm -hmm. And so in another way, that was my other favorite, just because that one mostly resonated with me and feeling so emotional about it. So those two pieces. Yeah. If I love I would that. Use. It's almost like you made it, ended up making it for yourself. I think I did. <laughs> no, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 My 10 year old self. Oh, I, I feel you on this so much, Leslie, because the thing, <laughs> I mean, and we've talked about this before, but you know, so much of what Louisa, what draws me to Louisa is just that, you know, I feel such a personal connection to her and just so yeah. much that I have learned about myself through reading her words. And it just sounds like you had such a similar experience. Yeah, and I just love yeah. that. Yeah. No, she's, she's wonderful. And as I said, totally precocious um, in her writing, whether she knew it or not, those statements are so profound in their simplicity and complexity and, you know, wonderful. Yeah. And to turn them into art. I mean, they already are art. It's like you saw them as art and you made them into, you know, I just wanted to kind of get out of the way enough, get in there, but also get out of the way of it. And I hopefully that's what happened. (laughs) Elevate them a little bit more into, you know, into, yeah, into visual art. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, make them more visible. Mm-hmm. I mean, to think mm-hmm. of her diaries as one locked up at Houghton Library and two, the pages are physically missing. So yes. Yeah. They're completely invisible. These quotes only now exist like in our yeah. brains other than, you know, being typed out. And I, I, think, I think they're at Fruitlands, but I went to Houghton because I thought, well, maybe they have those two pages because they have other stuff. They have other of her diaries. And she said, I don't know. And then she was an Emily Dickinson fan. So that was really fun because we, <laughs> we, I live in Massachusetts. It is rich, right? With right. so many of this stuff. So I feel so lucky that, and even in the diary, she talks about going to Lemonster and I go to Lemonster quite a bit. So that's so fun, you know, like, oh my God, that's right. You know, so mm-hmm. I forget that I'm here. Sometimes I'm here where she is and, you know, it's very exciting. So I just feel lucky because I used to visit there a lot. And I thought this is such a great place. And the synthesis of all these ideas about the landscape. Um, I I admire Native American philosophy so much. I so drawn to the shaker, the transcendentalists. I love them. I I want to be a transcendentalist, right? But on my own terms, maybe. And I just, the, the, the fact that they're all there together. And, you know, so it's, it just felt like I just got lucky in terms of you know, meeting Shana and getting asked to do that. And as I said, it's, it's not all fun and games. You, you get in there and you're like, you're like, Oh, what am I going to (laughs) do? There is that moment, right. Where you're like, I got to get all these bad ideas out of my head first. So let's work my way through them. Self-doubt can be useful there. Now we got to not talk myself out of stuff that could go somewhere. Right. So it's like this balance. And I always Mm -hmm. tell my students, self-doubt is only useful until it stops you working. You know, so um that was a big figuring out and you know I have a year is that enough time is it too much time I have no idea let's just get started so yay it all worked out 
Wow. Yeah, yeah, well, it was incredible. I mean, you knocked it out of the park. The Thank pieces you. are amazing. And are they, um, can they still view? I mean, we, they can still, people can still view the artwork on your website. Yes, correct? yes. So my website, which I think you're going to showcase is uh, www.lesliescomp.com. And I did, I made a page especially for this, just so you can see the, the work. And, you know, you um, Fruitlands, you can go to the main gallery all the way through the winter, only on the weekends, but March through, I think it's October or November is when you can go see whatever new artists and residents. So they always have someone every year that's new. So I'm not in there anymore, but the past artists have been amazing. Everyone responds to something different. So if people are able to go and see what next year's artists do, do, because it's always okay. interesting how it's interpreted and, um, always worth, you know, seeing it. See you next week for Louisa and Maud, our conversation with the creators of a podcast about the life of Lucy Maud Montgomery. The creators, Steph and Jen, have written a moving portrait of a woman whose life resembles Louisa's in many ways, especially as both were such famous authors in their own time. For more about Louisa, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Let Genius Burn. If you're enjoying the show, please give us five stars on your podcast app. Reviews help us find new listeners and new fans for Louisa. You'll find more information, including the resources used for this episode, in the show notes and on our website at LetGeniusBurn.com. Genius Burn.com.